We're three weeks in to our Holiness and Hope series through First Peter. This is a series that's going to take us through uh, Thanksgiving. So it's about a three-month series. Peter is writing to a group of Jewish Christians who are exiled right now in a land that is not their own. He calls them the dispersion. They, uh, they were existing in what we would consider modern-day Turkey. And what's interesting, what's unique about the series of churches that Peter's writing to is that they're experiencing a wide range of trials and suffering uh, for their faith in Christ. And up to this point, over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of going through Peter's introduction of this letter. And what's interesting about that is nowhere do we find any instruction from Peter up to verse 13 telling them to do anything. Like he hasn't given them any instruction in what to do, but what he's done, interestingly enough, is he's told them who they are. And one of the things he's told them about who they are and how they've become who they are is that God is decisive. He's been laying out the plan that God had for them before the foundation of the world. And one of the things we understand about God as Peter lays that out is that God is decisive. God decides to do things in your life and in your salvation. And whatever God decides to do, he kind of does it. My wife hates it when I say kind of, but it like makes the point. It makes the point that he doesn't kind of do it. He does it. So first, what Peter showed us as we dove right into verse 1 is God elects. God elects us. He elects people by choosing to give new birth through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in God's own goodwill and pleasure. He chooses those who he saves. And then, after he grows a person's faith through trials and testing, like we learned last week, what he does is he's looking for a result from that, a forward result, which he says, be praise and honor and glory at the meeting of Jesus Christ. Scott just talked about that before we, we, uh, we meet each other for our peace. Here's the main point that we're going to zero in on as we continue today through Peter's letter, and it's this, all right? God calls us to live a holy life by turning from former passions and setting our hope on future grace. And that's what we're going to learn as we dive in. So I don't want to take up any more time. Let's dive in right now. I'm going to read verses 13 through 21. And then we're going to come back. And we're just going to kind of step through what Peter is telling these churches. And then at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means when we say that God has called us to live a holy life. What is a holy life? And we just throw that word holiness around in church. Maybe we don't know what it means. Maybe you hear that and you, you have visions of like, you know, the exorcist, right? The guy in the black you know, uh, you know, the guy, the guy in the black uniform coming up and, you know, like casting out demons and there's the holy priest that comes and intercedes and does all these things. Well, as we see what Peter's going to talk about here, he's calling us. He's, he's not just calling clergy to a holy life. He's calling you. He's calling me. Well, okay, I'm clergy, but he's calling all of us to holiness. And through that holiness is how he produces hope in our life. First Peter 13, this is the word of the Lord. It says, Therefore, therefore, so what we know, I know I'm already stopping, but what we know when we see therefore is that everything that Peter has said up to this point, now he's making his point based on everything he just said. That's what happens when we see a therefore. Some guys say when you see a therefore, you ask, what is it therefore? So that's what we're doing right now. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So I was one of these guys that had, I guess, the privilege of growing up with a family that went on summer vacations. Um, It wasn't until years later that I realized... All the Chevy Chase vacation movies used our vacations as the storylines to write those movies, right? But here's what's interesting. We, we would take a long time preparing and getting ready. And when we were kind of going through that preparation process for our vacations, man, we were excited. Everybody was excited because our eyes were on the destination or what we thought was the destination because there was always a comedy of broken down RVs, bad motels, angry grandmothers and you know, Wally World or whatever. Peter says, prepare your mind for action. He's already told them who they are. He's already given them their identity. He already told them there's a destination in sight. And now he's saying, he's getting into the practical. He's finally saying there's some things that you need to start doing. And he just says it right here in verse 13. He says, prepare your mind for action. Your mind for action. In other words, the heart receives, we talk a lot about the heart, but the heart receives what is learned from the mind. That's why the Christian faith is not a blind faith. It's a faith that we engage with our minds because our heart receives what is learned from the mind. So Peter's saying, make sure your mind, people, is uncluttered and ready to be decisive. He's saying, keep it clear of anything that might alter your judgment. Paul said in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Well, he says, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, which is what these brothers and sisters are going through, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. So transformation, according to Paul, is having a mind that discerns God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. Well, what's God's will? I mean, you know, we freak out about, well, I, need, I don't know what God's will is. What's God's will and how do I, how do I discern that? Well, it's, it's, it's not that complicated, but, but there's some steps to take to knowing what that is. And your first step towards that is what he lays out here in verse 13 where he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully. He didn't say partially. He didn't say reach down into your hope and grab some as it's dripping. Just kind of throw it and see what sticks against the wall. That's not what he's saying. He said set your hope fully. Don't leave any margin. 
all of the hope, fill, fill the gap with all of your hope, which will be fully manifested when you meet Jesus in glory. There's that destination hope that we have. It's like, it's like when you're sitting at your desk and it's dark and you adjust that beam of light from a lamp to the object that you need to see. You adjust it. You set it on the thing that you need to see. That's what Peter's saying. And by the way, he, he's, not, he's not denying their present struggles. All right? He's directing their minds to the future grace they'll someday see manifested in full, right? That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get them to a place of hope. Nowhere does Peter say, don't worry, be happy. Nowhere does he say, don't worry, be happy with a Jamaican accent, steel drums, and like a fruity drink. That's not what he's doing. He says, set your hope fully on grace because this is what is going to prepare you to be the obedient children that you've now become in Christ, as I've lost my way here. Verse 14, because this is what he says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. So, I would venture to say that if I could like conjure up a genie for all of you parents, which I'm not going to do that because that's witchcraft and we just don't, we don't practice that at substance. But if I, could, if I could get a genie in the room with you guys and you guys had those three wishes and they were all related to your kids, I guarantee you that all of you would say one of the wishes is obedience. Maybe all three wishes. Obedience. I want obedience kids is what you would say. Because here's what's, here's what's beautiful about when our kids actually you know, take that two or three minutes uh, in a lifetime to, to actually do what we say. When, you're, when your kids do what you ask, there is what? Well, there's, there's peace, there's harmony, there's the absence of pain on their rear ends. I mean, like the, the, you know, the fruit that comes from that is just massive for everybody involved, right? So Peter says here, he says, as obedient children, he's calling them on who they already are. He's saying, don't, you know, when you, when you, you know, when it kind of strikes you, start thinking about starting to obey. No, no, he just, he calls them who they are in Christ because by repenting and turning from their sins and believing in the hope of the gospel, they've now become obedient children because that is their first step of obedience. So he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. It's a warning. He's warning them, don't turn back to indulging in the fleshly passions that characterized your former life when you didn't have a renewed mind and you were ignorant of God and his promises. Essentially, what Peter is saying is you were puppets once. You were punks. You were sin's punk. That's essentially what what Peter is saying right now. You were bent to passions that ruled and ruined you. So my wife and I have been watching this crazy show, this British show called The Great British Baking Show. I know some of you guys are watching Ohio State, man. I, obviously, I'm a little more refined than you guys. So what these guys are doing, right, is they're, all they do, I don't know why we're still watching it, every show's the same. So they're like rolling their dough and they put it in their mold and they bake cakes. It's, I don't know why it's so fascinating to us. But it um, shows you the life that we have. But here's what's interesting about that is they, 
they fold their dough over the mold, and the dough becomes shaped to the shape of the mold. And so what Peter is saying about your former passions is he was saying sin was a mold, and you were like dough. You were sin-shaped. It was the only way that you could be bent before you knew Christ, before the cross of Christ saved you. And so he's saying as obedient children, don't go back to that. Don't be bent back to that. Don't be conformed back to that. Because here's the thing. Everybody's obedient. You're all obedient. You're all obedient. All of you are obedient people. Go back with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 7, and I'll prove to you that I'm not making this up. But listen to what Paul says. You want to make a left and go to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. This is what he says about that confirmation to sin and our transformation. Chapter, five, chapter 8, verse 5, I'm going to read right now. It says this, For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, so he, doesn't get, he doesn't give any margin there. He doesn't say, well, sometimes people that are, uh, you know, live according to the flesh set their minds on the Spirit. No, he says, no, 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 no. If you live according to the flesh, you set your mind to things of the flesh. For to, and in verse 6, he says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And then he says this in 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, listen to what it says. Indeed, look at what it says. It cannot. And then verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul says that before Christ, we have no choice but to conform to the flesh, to obey our own passions. We are molded, we are bent around that mold. You are powerless against not obeying your passions. It's like the grimmest thing ever written. You're powerless against it. What are those passions? What are the passions that he's talking about? Can you give me some details, big R? I am. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Make a right. Paul tells us what those, what those fleshly passions are. Galatians 5 verse 19. Look what Paul says. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now keep that word evident just tucked away. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he says this, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says in 22, though, here, here's the good news, here's the hope. But the fruit of the Spirit, those who are now obedient children, those who God has saved because of the cross of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit now is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then he says this in 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, he says what Peter says. 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Peter is saying, now that you're obedient sons and daughters, now that you are co-heirs with Christ of an imperishable inheritance, you must be a non-conformist to your former passions. You need to be a non-conformist. But keep in mind, all right, you can be a non-conformist without being obedient to Christ. You know, some, some, some people, even in our very community, uh, are kind of nonconformist. We would look at the Amish, right? And we would say, pretty nonconformist, right? Pretty nonconformist. The Amish are nonconformist. There are things that they go, nope, we're not doing it. We're not going to align with our culture in all of these different ways. But the problem, the problem with all nonconformists who aren't conforming to Christ in their nonconformity, is that their mind is set on their nonconformities, but not on grace. That's the issue. And the issue with that is that it's not obedience. Well, what is, what is obedience? Well, it says right there, let's go back to 1 Peter and talk about what obedience is. Verse 15 tells us, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And verse 16 says, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter quotes from the book of Leviticus there when he says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And this is the part when the children of Israel, when God had pulled them from Egypt, he had called them from Egypt, he was bringing them to the promised land, he calls them out and he says this to them. He commands this to them. He said, look, you are my people. I have gathered you. I have separated you from the other nations. Here's my command. You shall be holy for I am holy. Holiness is obedience. That's holiness. Holiness happens when Christians set their minds fully on grace, turn from their former passions, and pursue God. It's not really that complicated intellectually. Peter is saying, look, you're not children of wrath any longer. That's not who you are. You're obedient children. So conduct yourself with fear and awe of your new father. So you used to serve your old passions. You used to be subservient to the passions that you naturally conform to. But he says, conduct yourself now with fear and awe of your new father who will judge and reward your obedience accordingly. Look what he says in 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, he again says it. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, don't forget the first 12 verses, all right? You are not condemned for your sins any longer if you're in Christ, but you will be judged. You will be judged for your deeds as someone who is saved from their sins. And so these these rewards, these good deeds that result in rewards from God, these are gracious rewards that God gives us in the day for, for for our good deeds. And what they are is they're just gifts and they're crowns that God bestows on us, where he takes into account the work that we accomplish for God during our time on earth as elect exiles. Now, again, this is not for those 
who have been called, who have not been called by God. This is for those who have been called by God and who call God their Father. So the motivation to live a holy life, listen, the motivation to live a holy life, as Peter is pointing out, is not to be saved, but it's because you've been saved. Right? So don't mix those two things up, which is what Peter says as we get into verse 18 or 19 here. He says, knowing. He says, knowing. So it's that knowledge. He's saying, don't forget. I'm not trying to put anything on you that God is not putting on you. He said, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Remember, these are Christian Jews. They would have had a knowledge about the history of the Jewish nation and everything that God had done and how he had called them and all of their history and everything that was contained in that. He said, uh, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So Peter doesn't take very long here. He brings them back to their status. He tells them that there is a conduct becoming for Christians, but he takes us back to the ransom status. And he uses this imagery of the spotless lamb, which comes from the day of Passover, which was that time in the history of uh, the Israelis where they were still in Egypt. They were getting ready to be called out of Egypt. And God was going to send his angel to kill the firstborn son of all the Egyptians. The only thing they could do to prevent that from happening with them was to kill a spotless, unblemished lamb, put the blood of that lamb on the door, and that angel would pass over them and spare them. Obviously, that was a picture of a future spotless lamb that would be slaughtered for their sins to cover them. In the same way, for us today, we have been ransomed. We have been ransomed by the unblemished, spotless lamb of God who, like us, he says, like us, like Peter points out in in, in, uh, verse 1, he was foreknown and planned by God to be raised again to glory. What's the result? What's the result of this? What's the result of this holy life lived out before God that Peter is admonishing his readers? Well, it says it right here at the very end. So that your faith and hope are in God. So Peter brings everything full circle for us. He gives us our identity. He tells us what it is that God requires of us as obedient children. And then what does he do? But he wraps it around to our identity again in Christ. So what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and I want to talk about what it means to live the holy life. Because Peter clearly says, clearly says, that if you are a Christian, the call from God is to be holy in all of your conduct. That's what he says. We just read it. The problem, the problem is that conduct without grace is condemnation. Conduct without grace is condemnation. What it leads to is legalistic living. And by legalistic, we mean earning God's favor through rule keeping. That's what makes churches legalistic churches is when they forget that part about setting your minds fully on grace. Because holiness is not obedience to rules. 
Maybe some of you guys don't know that. Maybe some of you grew up in churches or you had these Sunday school youth group experiences where you had guys that were just hammering you with rules. But holiness is not obedience to rules. It's obedience to a ruler. And there's a massive difference between those two things. Because here's what we know about rules. Rules have no heartbeat. Rules contain no love. Rules contain no grace. Rules contain no mercy. Rules make you think you're the ruler of your life when you keep them. That's the effect that rules have on your life. And man, just some of you, I know some of you came from these legalistic backgrounds where you had a dude up there that was pounding you. You had a youth pastor that pounded you. And he said, you got to live the life. you got to live the life. you got to live the life. You're like, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm failing, and I'm, I'm, I'm crushed. Help me. Well, here's our help. Here's our help right here. Setting our minds fully on the grace that has been given to us by God. That's the help. The church has a holiness problem. But it's not because it doesn't pursue holiness. But it's because it doesn't pursue God, who is holy. Holiness is hopelessness without grace. That's what Peter's laying out for us right here. Here's the rub, okay? It's easier for us to actively follow rules than to follow a ruler. It's a little more second nature for us. It's easier for us to follow rules than to follow a ruler and conform our passions to him. Because here's the situation. Doing the right thing is not the same as being right with Jesus. Being holy also is not simply not doing bad things. Some of us think holiness is just, man, if I can just buck it up, if I can just not keep falling into that, if I can just, you know, like a monk where I'm just punishing myself and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have all these punishments for myself and I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to just condemn myself and I'm going I'm to make myself go without all of these things because I just can't, I just keep falling into things. I, I'm not adding up. I just want to be holy, but it's not coming to pass where I don't have the strength. And you're like, you, you, there's this angst. There's this constant angst in you because you think holiness is simply not doing bad things. That's not what it is either. Holiness is conforming your head, your heart, and your hands to the glory of God through a passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. That's holiness. And we think things like, man, as long as I'm not doing anything wrong... I'm okay. I think I'm okay. But without a growing pursuit of Jesus and a passion for him, you'll eventually go back and conform to your old passions. It's like hobbies. I mean, has anybody ever like taken up a hobby and like you were all into it and like you spent all this money and you got these credit cards just jacked up now because no man, I'm going to get into that. That's going to be my thing. And you literally have half of a garage of like hobby ruins right now. 
Yeah, I know you guys are all laughing because we all have those garages, right? Well, what's the situation with that? Well, the situation with that is that you lost your passion for the hobby, and now the hobby lies in ruins. If living a holy life is only about conduct, if it's only about conduct, then Jesus will simply be a hobby that you lose passion for. Being holy is living the life of a person who's been freed from slavery. That's the context here that Peter is speaking to with these churches in the dispersion. Remember, God called the Israelites out of slavery. What was he calling them to? He's calling them out of slavery to be holy. Yes, that means we are called to conducting ourselves differently than the world we were called out of. But conduct without grace is slavery. Conduct with grace is faith. And we know from Hebrews 1 that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So this obedience that leads to holiness is directly tied with our faith. If you detach holiness from grace, you will be both unhappy and unholy. So let's, let's be clear. Disobedience displeases God. He's not talking to you to back out of conduct here. Disobedience displeases God because disobedience is rebellion. Unrepentant conformity to passions of the flesh is ignorance of God. That's what Peter's saying right here. R.C. Sproul, theologian R.C. Sproul, he says this, but true faith always produces a real conformity to Christ. So a true faith is the active obedience to God, turning away from our former passions, which creates a holiness in us. And look what Peter ties holiness to. He ties it to two things. He ties it to reward, and he ties it to ransom. There's no disconnect with those two things. There's no disconnect between reward and ransom. Obeying God because there's a crown of life to be received in the end gives God glory because that crown is none other than life with him in glory. So you're saying, well, what, is that supposed to be my motivation then, Ronnie? Like, I'm confused. First you said pursue God. Am I just supposed to pursue God for the reward? They're one in the same. Because as you pursue God for the reward, the reward that God is going to give you is him for all eternity. And that gives him glory because that pursuit is an obedience that turns, that becomes holiness in you. The reward for the Israelites' obedience, what was it? It was freedom from slavery in a land of promise. That was the reward. Was it wrong that they were trying to get to that place? To receive that reward for their obedience? No, not at all. It wasn't wrong for the Israelites to obey God for the hope of the promised land. Just like it's not wrong for a child to pursue good grades because they know how pleased mom and dad will be when they see the report card. Like, you all want that, right? You all push for that. But our reward is possible because of our ransom. Because of our ransom, we can be happy in our pursuit of holiness because our necks aren't on the line, right? Even when we fail to obey, and we're gonna, our ransom status means we don't receive 
punishment. You know, the best employees are people with the best bosses, right? The happiest employees are the people with the happiest bosses. They're eager and they're happy to do their best because they have job security, because they have a boss who takes care of them. All right, listen as we close. Some of you live unholy lives because you don't yet know this holy God who ransoms sinners. And I hope that this morning you will know him. I hope that you will have a moment in your heart with God where you repent of your sins and you see the beauty that he provides in ransoming sinners from their destruction. Some of you live unhappy lives because you've never set your mind fully on the grace you have in Jesus Christ. You've tried to follow rules without following the ruler. You've pursued holiness instead of a holy God. And you can't flip that. And your life, your life is like a Duncan yo-yo. Going up and down, back and forth between conforming to your former passions because a passion for Jesus is not being pursued. So let's close by reviewing one more time how different God's prescription for holiness is through the text. Peter said, set your mind fully on grace. And he calls on them as obedient children. How? How do we obey? Well, he says, by not conforming to ignorant passions. Well, ignorant of what? Rules? No. Ignorant of God. So how do we not conform? Well, he says, by being holy, by being separate, like God, who rewards the holy lives of those he calls. But then Peter says, we need to remember what we know. Well, know what? The rules? No. Our ransom from the foolishness of those who before us were rule keepers. What is this ransom? It's the blood of Christ, which he says is precious to God in the same way that he says our faith is precious to him. He holds it in highest value, in highest esteem. So why then? Why all this? So that your faith and hope are in God. Holiness is obedience, and obedience results in faith and hope in God. And you know that when your faith is weak, that doesn't change the hope that's available to you in God? You know that that's true? Because God's promises to you are not dependent on the level of your faith. That's why we can look at this with hope and with joy because Peter went on in verse 18 talking about what we know, which is that we've been ransomed by the precious, unblemished Lamb of God so that our faith and hope can remain on Him, so that 
we have faith and hope. Amen? Lord, these are incredibly difficult things for us to think about and to process and to begin to have an understanding about, Lord. So we need your spirit to reveal the truths of these things so that we are not people who continually bounce back to being conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Lord, you've called us to something. You've called us out of slavery. Like the children of Israel, you've called us out of slavery into a promise. Lord, let us live out the joy of that hope by being obedient children, which leads to holiness. Lord, guard us against lives that are being bent and conformed to the molds of our old life and our old sin. Lord, deliver us from these things that still continue to pull at us and drag at us. We know that those things are true. That old life and those old sins, they still continue to pull on us, Lord. But we've been ransomed. And we know that even when our faith is at its lowest, your promise to us of salvation because you chose us, that doesn't waver. And it means that we can have great faith and great hope in that, even when we're feeling our lowest. Lord, help us to remember that, Lord. Help us to be very aware of the ransom that's been paid. Help us to be pursuers of you. Let our conduct, our holy conduct, come out of a deep faith and an abiding joy, appreciation, and gratefulness for the work that you have done and continue to do. Let that be true of us as a church who seeks to go out into the community and be a representative, holy people set apart for you. Grant us that, we pray, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.